Alright, and I think we are ready to go. Welcome to the GMT sessions. Today we are talking about lockdown in Melbourne and what, well lockdown 2.0 is what we're calling it, um, uh -huh. down here. Uh, and what we've learnt, I guess, about the need to be flexible and the need to expect the unexpected and how everybody, I think, can perhaps take something away from this. Mm. Because one of the things mm. that is um, not to be overlooked is it's mm. Melbourne now, but it could be anyone. It could be any part of Australia. Mm. It could be any part of the world where something happens and mm. it takes one person to infect mm. another, another bunch of people and before you know it, you've got you know, an outbreak. Mm. Um, I know that, you know, we're in such contrast because I'm here in Melbourne. I'm in lockdown. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. leaving my home for the four valid reasons. Um, yeah. And you're in Queensland where borders are reopening to tourists. So we've actually got such a contrast yeah. in what's going on in our world yeah. at the moment. Mm. Very much so. I was actually thinking about that earlier this morning when I got your boxer and we said we're going to speak about this general topic and I thought yeah it is so it's like black and white currently yeah. so even though yes it's still COVID and all of that stuff up here but uh, my life hasn't been impacted at all really um, other than just being more mindful if the kids get sick not to send them to school right and, and that's it um, yeah but there are people that are really so significantly impacted and it's causing such emotional and psychological and you know stress as a result of not only the impact on our personal relationships um but business related it's huge and we know that especially if you're a small business owner um it you know whatever happens at work has a direct impact on your relationships at home the future of your family so it's, it's really really significant that's it so that's exactly right i mean we've got mm. most most kids so here in um in Victoria, well, in Melbourne, it's not the whole of Victoria that's in lockdown, but in Melbourne, mm -hmm. um, you know, most children will be returning to learning from home. Mm -hmm. um, they've been granted an extra school holidays. They should be back at school today, but it's school holidays been extended mm -hmm. for another week for most kids. And, mm -hmm. um, and then it'll be learning from home beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so for a lot of, a lot of people, you know, we talked about, we've talked before about, you know, the hospitality industry and, where you know it's really hit hard i think a lot of businesses mm. had um you know, really put big effort into reopening getting ready to, uh, and i know that um mm. talking to some of the hospitality um industry people mm. in my area um you know they had bought stock they had um hired new staff they had done a whole bunch of things that actually cost money and then mm. we had such short notice about going back into lockdown. It was very, very quick and uh, mm. people were caught unawares. And unfortunately, you know, that's a further hit to businesses that were already trying to recover. Um, and I know that there's lots of mental health professionals who are worried, especially here in Victoria, about whether or not to continue with face-to-face -face, um, mm. interventions or whether to go back to telehealth. Um, some will do a mix, some will... will Mm. do one or the other um so i think this idea that you know it, it was over you know a lot of people think it was over easing of restrictions meant it was over and uh, of course mm. the politicians are telling us don't mm. think this means it's over but we weren't really quite 
believing that like it is, is um mm-hmm. and now of course in sydney there's there's fears that there's a you know there's a there's a, an outbreak that's looking mm-hmm. to, that it has potential to be a major a major problem um, hopefully thing, it won't know, be but the potential is mm-hmm. there the thing is this little bug is freaking contagious right um so there are going to be outbreaks and if people don't you know follow the rules of social distancing and that stuff we're going to see more and more of that happening um and that's just how it is it, it's extremely contagious that's where the danger in this lies and and i i don't know you know i wonder we, we've all been through well the majority of us have been through lockdown 1.0 the first round and I, thinking back, it actually feels like so long ago, but it wasn't just because I think there was so much stuff happening and decisions having to be made and it was so exhausting and all of that stuff. And having gone through it, changing policy, adjusting stuff, and then getting to the end of it. And on the one hand, one might expect round two to be easier because it's like we've been through that right but i think what makes it hard and i don't know what what you are hearing on the ground where you are is it's because of the expectation the expectation that we're going to go back to some type of normal the expectation that it is over and therefore not being ready to go through it a second time right uh because the impact was so significant so much change and everybody just I guess was just wanting it to be all better, right? Yeah. For it yeah. to be normal again, and then this huge disappointment that it's not like that, yeah. um, even though we have been through it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, is it's that interesting. What you're yeah, yeah, it is. And um, you know, I saw some interesting emotional reactions to. Um, I was actually in getting my nails done. I was in the nail salon. My nails done, and the press conference, you know, the premier mm. going live. That was, you know, I got the notification on my phone that the the premier was going live, mm. and we had a feeling. I think for the, especially that morning, there just started to be mm. this feeling. Everyone was there was this ripple. You could feel it. Everyone had this feeling mm. that we were going back into lockdown, and um, so I was in the nail salon. Every I put my phone on speaker so everybody could hear. Um, the announcement we yeah. all huddled, yeah. metaphorically huddled, huddled around yes. my phone like it was World mm. War Two, listening to Vincent Churchill mm. on the on the radio on the wireless or something. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, that's how it felt. Mm. Yeah, the whole place went silent as we listened to what mm. was going to happen, and I just watched the faces of these girls in the salon, you know, just mm. um, and because they were going to, now I don't know what arrangement mm. they have in their business. I don't know if they're all you know, mm. contractors or mm. um, like mm. or whether they're employers or what they are, but I could just see, I could see mm. the cogs wearing behind their eyes of like, what's this meaning? I could see the worry mm. about money. I could see the sadness about having to close the business again. <clears throat> for a yeah. Um, and so on. And, you know, it, it, and it was, it was it was even though we were expecting it that morning, it, it didn't make it easier to hear it um, confirmed mm. and to see their reactions was really quite quite sad. Mm. That night, um, uh, we weren't in lockdown that day. I think we had that night where we were still not in lockdown and uh, we went to our favourite little place around the corner mm. for dinner and uh, we've become regulars there and so we, we know mm. the stuff quite well and... 
um, you know, the maitre d' was nearly in tears himself, and but he pulled himself together and he said, he said, the good news is we know what to do this time. Last time it took us weeks and weeks to figure out how we were going to survive it. Now we know exactly what we're going to do and we're going to just keep doing what we did before because it worked. Um, Yeah, my my kids, when we told my kids, I mean, my kids burst into tears. You know, so... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you know, so it it was... And for us, we also, we've talked before, you know, I, I have a house in Hobart that we... Mm. would like to be um, tenanted and rented mm. out. Mm. Um, but we had to leave. My husband had to drop everything mm. around. We'd locked down 1.0. Um, he was mm. in Tassie. Starting the process of getting the house ready for rental, he had to drop everything and run. So our house still looks like we just popped off to the shop. Um, yeah. And so we spent maybe, there was a little bit of maybe a half-hour period during the day, that day, where I realised we could get to Tasmania, we could get the dog to Tasmania, we would be quarantined in the house for two weeks and then we could get the house finished right out part oh, of um, lockdown in Tassie, get the house mm-hmm. sorted out. That was half an hour and then we had the announcement from the Premier of Tasmania that the door was closed, we would have to go back into hotel quarantine wow. if, we went, if we went back to Tassie. So yeah. Yeah, we, just had, we just had this rolling rolling set of mm. decisions taken out of our hands which is great in one way because the decisions taken out of our hands mm. and that's just our family mm. it's just our example um, but mm. so many businesses so many people I've, I've got you know um private practice owners worrying about about infection control but we've got private mm. practice owners worrying about whether or not to see people at all in in face-to-face mm. situations um you know, I even had my GP telling me that he was having to, you know, talk down his nursing staff that it's okay, you know, you're still going to be safe, it's still going to be all right, we're still going to, you know, mm-hmm. so people in, in every setting are worried. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. the lesson, and this is the point, the point is, you know, the point is, okay, so what can we learn? What can we, what can we take away from this that's helpful to everybody? Mm-hmm. So um, Tasmania was meant to open their borders to... Um, tourists from the 24th of July they've said no to Victoria straight away with lockdown they've now said no Mm. to everybody they're not opening their borders again so so the Mm. ripple effect is what does this do for the tourism industry in Tasmania Um, so you know if people from Tasmania want to travel to Queensland that's fine but they need to go into hotel lockdown when they come back yeah yeah so that's not yeah either so there are ripple effects in lots of lots of sectors and my feeling uh, is that people keep talking about the new normal, but I think this is what we have to expect, is this mm. quite quite rapid peaking and, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's hard. It is. And, and, you know, it's hard because when when we don't, when we can't see that light at the end of the tunnel mm. or we saw it and now it's dark again, that's yeah. very discouraging, right? Um, that's what, what causes a lot of this not hopelessness, but sense of, oh my goodness, like really, do we need to go through this again? And, and that's the difficulty. When there is a brightness of future, you've got something to hold on to, something to look forward to, right? And, and then it's really hard when there's those waves. Um, and I think it's important to start, you know, really reminding ourselves that this is potentially there could be a third and even a fourth wave. Yeah. I mean, just thinking that makes me frustrated and disappointed because, as you know, my parents were meant to fly out from South Africa to come and stay here for five years on a visa 
um, a week after they closed the Australian borders. So they're like sitting in a little apartment in South Africa, wasting their visa for months and months. Their furniture have already arrived here in Australia. Oh, <laughs> we, we don't know when they're going to come. Mm. I also think, you know, just from a tourism perspective, just from international tourists, mm. I think the consequences of all of this on our economy, uh, we're only going to see that in, in probably a year or so's time, mm. right? Yeah. So it's so hard to see what the, the, the ultimate outcome is going to be of all the stuff that we're going through now. Mm. Um, and again, make, which makes it hard to have that future vision right mm -hmm. which we know was not good for people's mood and the way we feel and, and having that inherent sense of it will be okay which i truly believe it will be but it's really hard when it feels like is there's now another thing now i need to go through this again and stuff that i've done might not have helped so it, it's about coming back every day now thinking about what it is that i can do today what decision do i need to do today how what do I need to do today to ensure that my business is okay, my clients, my team, my family? And of course, very importantly, that I'm going to be okay mm. in order, especially if you're the captain of the ship, right? Oh, that yeah. has to steer, that has to make all these navigational decisions that needs to decide, you know, where we're going, how we're doing it and all of that stuff. It's going to be so important every day coming back to those decisions and, and also, I mean, the pressure that people are putting on themselves to make the right decision. And we see that with our community because they are such want to do the right thing kind of people, right? Mm -hmm. That's who we are. We want to do the right thing for our team and our clients and our community. And then that internal struggle, especially when there's not so much information to help you make the right decision a lot of the information is is vague yes when you're in lockdown that's very clear right but yeah. because of our type of industry the fact that we still have the right to do face to face that's where then that moral decision making comes in because now legally we can do face to face but now it becomes like a moral thing is this the right thing to do right uh given the type yeah. of client population yeah. i have how vulnerable they are um, whether that's physical vulnerability, emotional, mental vulnerability, and weighing them up with the vulnerability of your team and yourself and your family and people that you get into contact with. And that's what makes it so difficult, especially mental health practice owners. I think so. And, and on that score, I, I'm hearing regularly stories of you know, practitioners who make a decision one way or another about face-to-face -face sessions and that that will be based on their own decisions around what capacity they have to stay safe and hygienic and and social mm. distance within their practices um you know it might be about geographical location that they're in might be a low risk area mm. and so on getting getting um criticized and the flip side is also mm. true people who are choosing to do 100 percent telehealth getting criticized and I think yeah. that, you know, there is no one right answer for the whole of community, let alone the whole of profession. So I think mm. we really need to just be mindful. Um, you know, if you're a member of a group where, people, where that kind of criticism mm. is tolerated, then I, I encourage you to not expose yourself to that kind of yeah that kind of treatment anymore, no matter what industry you're in. But obviously our, we see it a bit in our industry too. If you're a member mm. of a group that's meant to be a professional supporting group 
and that behaviour is tolerated, my advice mm. right now. We've got enough on our plate. We've got enough stress mm. on our shoulders. We've got enough decision making that we need to do. A simple decision is just not to expose yourself to that stuff. You know, I encourage people to totally just unfollow the group for a while or whatever it might be if you get mm. some benefit from being a member. Um, because there's no room. I think there's absolutely no room for criticising others' decisions right now um, mm. <clears throat> because we're all doing the best we can. Um, yeah. You know, and it is. It's a difficult time. It's a really difficult time. Mm. 100%. I'm looking as you were talking there. I took a screenshot of the graph I saw. I know it's here somewhere, but I've got so many freaking screenshots in my, on my computer. <laughs> that I took uh, and it was very interesting stats. I'll find it. And when I find it, maybe afterwards, I'll pop it into the comment section mm. where they actually um, did research on, um, I think it was for the month of April. So that would, would have been lockdown one yes. window, right? April. Mm. Um, and they looked at the number of face-to-face -face, uh, appointments still happening within the allied health and mental health specifically um, industry um, versus telehealth. And it, and it was actually very interesting. Telehealth like increased so significantly, mm. but there were still hundreds and thousands of sessions being happening face-to-face, -face, right? So again, you know, it, it's, the one ain't better than the other. And no. it's about coming back and making that decision based on your location. Mm. Like our locations are vastly different. Mm. If I had a private practice here, my decision making would be informed by very different, well, the same variables, but I would come to a different decision based on your practice. In If you had yeah. a practice in Melbourne CBD, right? Totally, exactly. totally different. So it's about mm. recognizing that our colleagues and our peers, depending on where they're located, you know, also the type of people, you know, are, that they're engaging. Is it independent contractors that have the right to make their own decisions around yeah. do they or don't they do telehealth versus having a, a, a team of employees where you are responsible for making that decision? You know, the, the, the clientele that you have, all of that stuff, so many variables that impacted and really coming back to I, uh, as long as I'm making the right decision based on all the health proper authorities giving me information based on what I know to be ethical, you know, looking also at my moral code because I need to be able to sleep at night. I yeah. always, doesn't yeah. matter what type of decision I make, I have my, can I sleep at night test? If I can't sleep at night, making this decision is the wrong decision. If I am going to sleep at night, then it's the right decision. Um, even though this decision might keep somebody else up, right? Uh, it's different. They, they might have different morals and values than I, and we can just do what is right for mm. each of us. And then also mm. respecting that each person is going to do that, right? Yeah. And not judging one another, as you say. Mm. I think that's right. I think, um, yeah, I was listening to the Victorian Chief Health Officer yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, and he, um, yeah, I was talking to someone else about this this morning and I, and I said, you know, I, I can only imagine that he's let this slip, um, this information, because up until now we've been hearing about timelines mm. for vaccines. It's been maybe end of the year, start of early next mm. year is probably when we'd be looking at. He actually said, he said, um, 
you know, it, he was talking about, you know, expecting the ups and downs and to, to be our new normal for a while. Mm. We have to get used to this, even if it's two years away for a vaccine. And I, my ears Ooh. tripped up because it was the first time. And he corrected himself and said, oh, or 18 months or more. And I thought, okay. So we're now no longer mm. talking mm. about the end of this year, early next year. We're talking 18 months mm. to two years. And, and yeah. I thought that's actually really helpful information because mm. let's be honest and, and let's know what the facts are. If it is two years away, we don't know when it's going to be. They'll discover yeah. it when they discover it. But if we do start yeah. thinking like that, if we do start thinking this is a lot longer term than we originally thought, there are mm. going to be more ups mm. and downs than we originally thought. And if we can start shifting our focus and say, okay, we are mm. on a merry-go-round. We didn't choose, I mean, a, a roller coaster, not a merry-go-round. We didn't choose yeah. to get on the roller coaster but we're on it and we have to expect mm. the ups and we have to expect the downs. We'll come out of lockdown eventually, but no doubt yeah. at some point we may, as you say, we may have to go back in at some point too. We just mm. can't know. Um, I think that, you know, um, knowing that that's a likelihood and it's a potential, you know, longish term likelihood, mm. then we mm. need to start thinking accordingly and we need to start planning accordingly. And we need to say, okay, well, what are the smart things that I can start to do? Um, mm. I can increase, you know, ways that I support my community. I might run online training in anxiety management or I might yeah. um, uh, run, you know, how-to videos on that. You know, if you're a nail technician on how to look after your nails or, or how mm. to cut your kid's hair or whatever it might be. Um, if we add that to our suite of offerings and suite of services that we provide to our community, then we've got options for when we can't see people face to face. You know, yeah. the restaurants that are doing the, the at home um, at the little place that we had the dinner, the last supper before lockdown, mm. um, they do a lovely hamper and they do this beautiful hamper and it's prepared up to a point and then you finish mm. everything yourself. And so you end up with oh. a restaurant quality meal. It's not like mm. over eggs mm. or it's cooled down by the time you get it. Um, yeah. And they're just going to keep doing that. They're going to keep doing that. And I know other restaurants mm. have little, little corner shops where they sell the gourmet delights mm. in the front part of their restaurant. Um, you yeah. know, and they adding those revenue streams that came mm. out of desperation, holding mm. on to them and carrying them forward as part of your offerings. And it's yeah. the same, I think, with our profession with telehealth. Too many people are, are I'm starting to hear little little murmurs of, mm. well, this is meant to end. These telehealth um, Medicare item numbers, they're meant to end on the 30th of September. So maybe I mm. won't offer telehealth anymore. I think we need to get back mm. to the conversation about offer what the client needs, let the client choose. Yeah fully informed mm. if there's a rebate or there's mm. not in the rebate, that the client be prepared, that the, the rebate might end, but the service mm. doesn't. You're available for that option for them. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, you know, and that is a good prompt to move away, away from thinking that I can only provide a service if there's Medicare rebates mm. because your clients might not be ready for face-to-face -face come the end of September, oh, yeah. right? But yeah. they still want treatment because all our clients are so different and, mm. and client choice when it comes to their mental health care is such an important principle, right? Mm. It's one of the mental health uh, principles or standards here in Australia is that people need to have choice mm. um, and it's important for us as the providers to first and foremost challenge ourselves on that thinking yes it's great when people can have their rebates but it's not it's not a necessity 
right? People, there's going to be a lot of people that's going to value protecting themselves and their health and of that of maybe vulnerable family members is going to be way more important than a meager rebate for a session. Um, so yes, it might be one thing to think about, but that should not really inform your decision in terms of whether you do telehealth or not. I mean, it would be amazing if they just allow it to continue indefinitely, right? Because I just think that yeah. that helps our, our community, but it shouldn't be a determining factor. That's right. That's exactly right. I think that, um, you know, if you mm. and I ran the world, we would make lots of yeah. very sensible decisions. We should. Um, <laughs> and, you yeah. know, and I'm, I've got, um, you know, um, I need to follow up with my GP this week and I'm quite comfortable with that being a phone call. Mm. I mm. no longer feel the, the need for that, for me to sit in his room and yes. talk to and him. And they're always running late, bless their souls, but... That's the nature of general practice, right? Because they've got crises and emergencies and stuff. So it's, you never get seen at your appointment time. Just the amount of time it saves you is like amazing. Yeah. It's and so awesome. My, and my expectation going forward is I would like to have that option. Mm. I don't care yes. if, if there's a Medicare rebate or not. That's fine. Fine. There's a Medicare rebate. Mm. Great. If there's not a Medicare rebate to me, the convenience mm of being able to sit here on my phone or my laptop, get on mm. their website or their app that they use for bookings, mm. go, oh, they've got a spot in half an hour, I'll grab that. Mm. And they'll ring me. Um, and the thing is, I mean, I'm all for, you know, in-person care, but I think, you know, GPs, GPs are so busy, right? Mm. And, and, and Australia doesn't have enough doctors. We know that, right? There's, there's a huge shortage. But I think, you know, just in terms of, I, I know we already have, you know, telehealth for rural people based on the Monash um, area maps and all of that type of stuff, but making it available to everyone, potentially also allowing GP surgeries to run a tablet more efficiently, right? There's going to be less chit chat. Like last week, I had to go in for a script, right? Um, and, and then I know, so you have to go in person, but a lot of times, you know, there's a bit more chatter happening. It could potentially, if, even if it just opens up one additional appointment today, because they are also running more efficiently, not a lot of people, you know, standing um, at reception, all of that type of stuff to see one extra patient a day. Um, or maybe they can just run more efficiently and have less stress and burnout on them as the doctors, right? Yeah. Um, because there's less foot traffic coming through their practice because people take attention. Uh, and, and, and then also allowing the people that really need the in-person attention to get better attention, right? Uh, because sometimes when you're so unwell, you really don't feel like going to the doctor. It's, it's almost a punishment to get there, right? Um, I don't know what I'm saying. It's like, well, I just I think, think there's a... Yeah, there's a lot of benefits to it. There's a lot of benefits. And I mm. think that my, I know that the government was intending to review the telehealth mm. items specific to COVID telehealth before mm. the 30th of September. And I would hope that that would review mm. will take into account the things that you're saying, you know, that more people mm. are being seen now, um, mm. the efficiencies behind it all. All of those factors yeah. are actually really, really important. But I think going mm. forward, again, tying it back to if we are looking at a couple of years before we've got an effective vaccine, 
and we're seeing just, I mean, when those COVID-19 items came out for Medicare, there was no idea mm. then how mm. long this is, we were going to be in this or how mm. big it was going to get. Mm. Um, so I would expect that if we've got a longer-term plan of ups and downs in, you know, periods mm. of lockdown, periods of, you know, outbreaks, those sorts of things, mm. then it makes sense to keep people, give people options not to have to mingle if they don't have to mingle. Um, yeah. and, and telehealth is one of those options that, we, that isn't easy. Mm. The person's going to go to the doctor anyway, hopefully. But I know when I was, you know, mother of small children, I would mm. think twice on a clinical level, you know, do I actually need yeah. to, if my child's got a sniffle, this is pre-COVID, if my mm. child's got a sniffle, mm. do I need to expose them to mm. whatever else might be in a exactly. waiting room when I know that I'm probably going to be sent home and told that they've just got a sniffle? Yeah. So yeah. Um, you see what comes. And sometimes... Especially as a new mum, you just need, you just want to hear that it's probably just a sniffle, right? Exactly. <laughs> to, to make you feel better. Sure. That there's yeah. nothing you can do other than just give them lots of love and cuddles mm -hmm. and attention, right? And that can yeah. be done by telehealth yeah. as well. It just makes it so much exactly easier. Right. So, oh, you know, I was, talking to, mm -hmm. I was talking to the um, now technician about, um, you know, and this is one of these lovely salons where they do all of the beautiful mm -hmm. beauty treatments and they use all of the beauty. Mm -hmm organic products and or organic, mm. whatever products and so on um and i said to her you know you need to think about what else you can do online because they were mm. um that's the, the salon that i got the lovely kits that we could use yes. i got off their website and i think mm. and she said oh look we did we did have some success with i, I congratulated her actually on on their mm. social media presence during the first lockdown mm. i said you know i was really conscious of the effort that you mm. guys were putting into helping people care for themselves from mm. home using mm. video and other mm. techniques online. And I think um, she was saying they got lots of positive feedback from their customer base, but also from new customers coming forward um, who mm. were excited when they were able to reopen. She said, you know, our initiative will be to continue to do that, you know, teaching mm. people how they can look after their nails or their eyebrows or whatever it might be while they're in lockdown um, mm. or use video to do that. And I think that you and I have talked a lot about this for mm. mental health mm. professions, about using social media as a, as a service to the community, educating the community um, and supporting mm. the community. I'm a big fan of using social media mm. to debunk what psychologists look, look like and sound like so that it's not mm. such a scary prospect to go and see a mental health mm. professional. Mm. Um, and so I would encourage, you know, anyone who's not yet on social media for their business, but especially social, um, uh, mental health professionals, to just think about that conversation mm. that I had with the now mm. technician about how helpful their customer yeah. base found their mm. social media content during that period of lockdown. Um, mm. little, little things like, you know, you can use olive oil to oil your cuticles so that all the hand sanitizer you're using doesn't destroy your nails. You yes. know, little things yes. like that, you know, that might seem about vanity, but it's also mm. about personal grooming and self-care mm. and all of those things mm. you know when we're talking about mental health care we can provide a lot mm. of support mm. to the community you know mm. online whether that be in therapeutic one-to-one -one sessions that are part mm. of your business revenue generation or whether it be mm. through doing something to help educate the community and support the community in that way yeah and and how awesome that you gave her that feedback right? Mm -hmm. Because what I know from talking to a lot of practice owners, they, they put 
or content out there, a lot of time really awesome content, and then they just stop because they go, oh, but nobody engaged, nobody liked it, nobody shared it. Doesn't mean nobody's looking, right? right. A lot of people are looking. So you have to be consistent because I can guarantee people the work, the people that are putting the work right now into social media, you might not see the results from it right now, but you will see it in the future because if you are the person that's talking to them, helping them keep their head above water, so to speak, right? From a preventative and inspirational and educational standpoint, when they are ready to ask for help or when they are ready to reach out and book an appointment, um, guess who they're going to call, right? Guess who they're going to email or reach out to? You, because you've already built up that trust and you've given them that value. So it's really about playing the long game as well here and just also allowing yourself to share the stuff that you love so much, right? It it can be a bit selfish in terms of giving you an opportunity to still do the work that you love so much, but just sharing it on a different platform. And I know it can be very, very scary, but once you get started, it is actually really fun. Okay. Of course it is. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and mm. I'm still, I'm still looking after my voice at the moment and not doing mm. as much talking on social media. Mm. But the nice thing about that for me is I've gone back to doing more writing on social media, mm. and um, and I'm really enjoying that. I love it. And um, I think that you're right about the whole likes and follows and shares things. I mm. don't look at those numbers. You know, they don't mm. interest me at all. I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. And I'm doing it because I really hope that somebody will get some kind of connection with whatever it is I'm talking about on that particular post, whether it's a verbal post or a a written post, you know, that, that, that someone will feel supported every now and then once in a blue moon, I will get a message or or a comment. Thank you. I needed to hear that today, you know, and that's enough. Even if it's only once in a blue moon, that's enough to keep me motivated to know that somebody's been, and even if I never got any feedback, Knowing that people people do um, feel supported, you know they don't, they don't feel they don't feel alone. They feel they feel that you know they're not the only person going through what they're going through. Mm. Correct, and there's a reason why it's called vanity metrics right? Because it's about vanity. Oh, how many people liked my post? How many people shared it? It is about vanity. But the fact of the matter is. Um, to be successful um, on social media, you need to do it consistently and you will only do it consistently when you're not in it for the vanity metrics, when you are in it to serve, to help, to support, empower just that one person, just that one person that is reading it. Like case in point, right? I, for some reason, over the last couple of days, I found myself watching a lot of Mel Robinson's, Mel Robbins, you like, like her, right? Mel yes. Robinson's, um, uh, stories on Facebook, like her stories kept on popping up and it was such consistent um, posts and a lot of people might look at it and maybe she's even looked at it and gone, oh, it must be boring because I'm putting the same thing up every day. It's like she has had these regular posts where she gets up like early, right? Like six, between six and seven. She, she does the five, four, three, two, one, um, getting dressed 
you know, going to do um, yoga at home. She's got a little home studio there and making her bed. But it's consistent every day, every day, every day. And I went last night. Tomorrow morning, I'm doing five, four, three, two, one at six o'clock. I'm not getting up at seven like usual. I'm getting up at six. I want to add an extra hour to my day. Because I've got so much stuff that I want to get done before Elevate 2020, right? It's like I've got all these stuff. And then I have all this other stuff that I need to do one extra hour a day. That's what I'm taking. And that was my inspiration from her stories. And it's like the same stuff every time. It's not like a new thing. She's not reinventing her motivation every morning. It's the consistency of it, right? And, and she doesn't know it, but it changed my Monday, right? It might change my entire week. She doesn't know it. I didn't like her, her story. I don't go to her Facebook page even. I just follow her stories. That's all I follow because it works for me. It's sharp and sweet and it's right at the top of my thing, right? Yeah. And it yeah. worked. And that's the thing you don't know. You need to trust that if you are sharing your truth, if you are sharing authentically and you're doing so consistently, it will be touching people's lives. And that helps you to stay consistent. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, and I think that consistency is what people, uh, um, that's where they get frustrated. They get frustrated because mm. they're waiting for feedback. And I think that mm. you have to make a decision that if this mm. is one of the things I'm going to do to future-proof mm. my business against all these ups and downs, it's one yeah. element of future-proofing your business is maintaining a consistent presence. So if I'm making the decision to maintain a consistent presence so that my business stays visible, even if I'm in lockdown, and that's these were the businesses I was really impressed with, who mm. even though they'd had to shut their doors, they still had a visible presence online throughout yeah. that lockdown 1.0, and no doubt they'll do it again now. Um, mm. You're doing it for those reasons. You're doing it to remain a visible presence. During lockdown 1.0, I was putting out um, mm. you know, posts around stay visible because we need to know you're there. Mm, mm. So I think it's really important when we think about that concept. So for me, with the business clientele that I uh, am speaking to mostly online these days, it's really reassuring to see that your favourite bookshop, you know, mm. to, to see in their stories what they're doing behind the scenes, to see that they're still yeah. your favourite restaurant or your favourite cafe mm. or your hairdresser or your dentist or whoever it is. Mm. And I think, mm. you know, when we extend that and we think about... Um, you know, mental health professionals and we think about, okay, we've, we've closed our doors theoretically, you know, we might be just doing mm. um, telehealth. It's reassuring to that cohort of people that we used to mm. be having a door that they could walk in. Yeah. To know that you've still got a door that they can walk in. It's just an online door that they can yeah. walk in and they can see that, that you're, you're still going, you're not closing your practice down. Um, mm, mm. Shrunk, shrunk it down into something that's manageable during the lockdown period if you're in lockdown. So I think mm. that that consistency, it's about the decision behind why you're doing it. And that's where people mm. get stuck. Oh, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be promotional. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. It's, it's none of those things. Mm. It's about being visible mm. so that people, A, they know you're there. They know you exist. Mm. B, they're connecting with a message that you're sharing for a reason that is beyond self-serving. You're sharing a message because you want to help others. And mm. C, it's reassuring to them. They know that you're there. They know that, that you know, you've not gone anywhere. You're still there, you know, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. So that consistency is actually really, really important. Um, 
Oh, so correct. And, and what it comes down to is all you're doing is communicating. You know, you're not selling. Maybe indirectly you are, but if you, all you need to do is communicate. The fact that you are communicating with them is, is really selling you as a business already. So you don't have to sell. You just need to talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. And share with them and educate them and let them in. So it's really about reframing that what I'm doing when I am visible on social media, when I'm sharing these things is I'm communicating and, and coming back always for me as, as a mental health professional and allied health professional, that is the basis of what we do. We yeah. communicate to people in order to affect their treatment. We teach them how to communicate better, you know, mm. all those skills around it. So it's just like mm. using my stuff that I do anyway and just applying it to a business activity. Yeah. So just embrace it. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I think, you know, I mean, the key things mm. to me at the moment, I think, is, you know, look at what's happening if you're not in Victoria. Look at what's happening in Melbourne mm. and think, okay, how would I adapt to going back into lockdown? For my business, what would I do? Yeah. What would I? What do I need to start preparing now? Mm. In the event that we were to go into lockdown, because the mm. timeframes we're talking about—it's highly likely that somewhere else there'll be an outbreak, mm. and somewhere else yeah. I'd have to—and it might be big like Melbourne, or it might be small like the northwest coast of Tasmania when they had their outbreak. Mm. They had to—they had to lock down a part of the northwest coast mm. of Tasmania. This is mm. back in lockdown after you know, lockdown one point they had to really shut down a part of that area of the state. So it might be in a rural community. It might be in a metropolitan area. We don't know. We can't know. Mm. So because we can't know, expect the unexpected. Plan for it. Think, okay, what can I start doing now? What can I start offering now? What can I start doing now that supports my community and makes it an easier transition? So mm. it makes it an easier transition. Can I start reinforcing that telehealth is still an option? Can, when mm. people want to cancel an appointment, can I offer them telehealth as an alternative? And a really good example of that is, you know, someone who's cancelling an appointment because they've got a sick child at home. Yeah. Like your session, mm. we can do it via telehealth. You don't need to cancel. We have telehealth session instead. Yeah. Um, so perhaps starting to get, get heads around, no matter mm. what business you're in, what was I doing in, in lockdown 1.0 that was really innovative? Have I let that slide because I feel like I don't need to do that anymore? Mm. And if I have, should I perhaps reintroduce that gradually so that it's still there as a backup? So yeah. thinking about, you know, our, our people with their at-home little beautiful hampers of food, they never stopped mm. doing that. They announced they were mm. going to stop doing it the week after. Um, they yeah. were due to stop doing it the week after lockdown started. So luckily they hadn't stopped. Wow. So they just mm. kept it going. Like we will keep, keep yeah. going. Um, you know, so thinking about, about what you can do now to start preparing your business for a future lockdown. And if you never have another lockdown, bonus, you've got a new service as part mm. of the standard mm-hmm. suite of offerings. Mm. You've got a new way mm. of doing business that runs alongside the traditional ways of doing business. Mm. Mm. So much yes to all of that. And you know what? When it happens, there's, there's no use in fighting the reality of it because it is what it is, right? And it's about accepting that it lockdown, if that happens, and when it happens, it is what it is. And then coming back to now what? What do I need to do now? And really going into some of those examples of 
problem solving and, you know, coming up with creative solutions um, in this situation and using it as an opportunity to think creatively. And I know that might sound difficult, but it's amazing what people come up with when they just decide that that is how they're going to approach that. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. All right. I think we've solved awesome. the problems of the world today. <laughs> tick, 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 tick. <laughs> we should be in charge, Tess. You know that. If we were in charge, <laughs> things would be so much more efficient, that's for sure. All right, I am going to end our little recording session today. Thank you to those of you who are listening in later. Um, look forward to talking to you all again very, very soon. Thank you.